Welcome to the Hands-On Business Podcast, where else are you going to come to get tips, tricks, and advice on growing your business? As you know, what people tend to love about this podcast is that it is a place where you can hear real business leaders discussing systems, methodologies, and strategies that they have used to help them catapult growth in their business. I'm your podcast host, Hakeem Adebiyi, and I've grown several small businesses to multi-million pound enterprises and noticed that there wasn't really a place that focused on where I was, i.e. growing a small business. All of the content that seemed to be out there was about big business and often just a lot of theory and no practical implementable advice, which is exactly why I set up this podcast. On today's show, we're going to be speaking to Zair Usman a business strategist, NFT enthusiast, and Web3 advisor. Uzair is the managing director of Asset Intelligence, a Gallifrey company, but he's also an early NFT collector and a trusted advisor in the rapidly evolving world of Web 3.0. With extensive experience in both traditional and cutting-edge industries, Uzair is obviously, therefore, uniquely positioned to offer valuable insights into our topic today, which is going to be on debunking Web3 myths and why businesses should care. So listeners of this episode should look forward to hearing of their shares insights as he breaks down the different Web 3.0 concepts that we often hear about, but often don't know what they're talking about. And he tells us how he believes traditional Web2 businesses can leverage this new tech. So let's get into it and happy listening. Delighted to be sitting here with a good friend of mine, Uzair Usman. Uh, interesting story as to why we're here today, actually. It was one evening last year when we were having dinner. I think it was about 12 months ago, actually. Yeah, so Uzair had started talking to me and a group of our friends, actually, about the fact that he was an NFT and Web 3.0 advisor. Didn't have a clue what he was talking about at the time. And he started talking in detail about early NFT investments, such as BAYC, Their Friends, Moonbirds, World of Woman, and many, many other blue chip NFT collections. So, yeah, again, at that time, probably similar to some of you who are listening to this now, didn't have a clue what he was talking about, but you will do soon. And from the time of that dinner, as he was engaging us with his uh, tales of NFT domination, we started peppering, peppering, and I certainly started peppering him with lots of questions about you know, NFTs, Web3, how it can be beneficial in business. And then I started harassing him to come on to this show to share his expertise, which um, it's obviously taken me about a year to do. So here we are today to talk about, you know, Web3 and debunking Web3 myths, and more importantly, why a business should care. So welcome there. Thank you for having me, Hakeem. Really good to uh, do this after trying a few times and wanting to do it. It wasn't a lack of desire, but we'll blame the tech. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. So in terms of Web3 NFTs, you know, you're an MD in a construction company. So quite a big difference between what you do in your day job and then what you sort of like doing in addition to that. So just talk to us about how you come and how you've become an NFT and a Web3, both expert, but enthusiast. Yeah, I think expert is a big word. So let's stick with enthusiast. 
I think, you know, if I, if I look back, Hakim, it was around 2017. And I remember becoming very disillusioned by the fact that money, fiat money or money as we know it, you know, um, kept on devaluing, you know, and that, you know, because of inflation and banks were printing money and it just didn't make sense to me. And I remember driving into the mosque, actually, and it was the Bitcoin craze at the time. And I heard people talking about Bitcoin. And at that time, I was looking at storing my wealth in, you know, um, items such as watches, number plates, you know, and, and, and stores of wealth rather than leaving, leaving the money in a bank. And I heard about Bitcoin. And as you well know me, I started researching it. What I didn't do was buy it straight away, which is a very good thing. It's called FOMO in our world, fear of missing out. I didn't have the, well, I did have the fear of missing out, but I didn't jump in and buy Bitcoin and it's hype. But what I did do was research it and I bought a few books and I looked into it and I learned about Bitcoin obviously being this cryptocurrency that was decentralized. It had a limited supply and it wasn't controlled by the banks. And so I liked the idea of it on the face of it. And I researched it and I soon got to know that the most important aspect behind Bitcoin was the blockchain. And I'll tell you about the blockchain in a bit. But if I tell you a little bit about how I felt at the time, I learned that the blockchain was this decentralized ledger that you had the ability to store important information on. And it was transparent. You know, they had, it had a full audit trail. It was immutable and it was highly secure. And one thing that you didn't say in the fantastic bio that you, that you gave me was that I'm a chartered project manager and a chartered surveyor. So my project management brain at the time was thinking uh, configuration management and all these project documents that I'm quite precious about having a, a good order trail, the baselines being intact, and the fact that there was a secure ledger that kept everything you know, in a safe place meant a lot to me from a configuration management perspective. So I was quite drawn to the technology of blockchain. One thing I knew at the time was that I wasn't early. I wasn't early to Bitcoin. So I went searching for the next thing around the blockchain. And I came across the, the cryptocurrency or the blockchain called Ethereum and the, and the cryptocurrency called Ether. And a little bit about Ethereum was that all of a sudden it took this, this ledger that I was talking about and it gave it, gave it the ability to, to contract. So if a certain criteria was met, the metadata or the, or the function would then do something thereafter. So what I saw in my mind very simply was a project, a milestone being completed, and automatically, because the milestone was completed, that the blockchain would pay the person that did the work. And so that meant a lot to me at the time because I saw automation through a digital process. So I bought Ethereum. I told everyone to buy Ethereum. And it was called the next, the next big thing after Bitcoin. So we fast forward about three years and I'm sitting down watching the kids play tennis during COVID. Ethereum went through a dump and so did Bitcoin. And I remember looking, in fact, it was a conversation that we had with, 
one of our good friends, Milad, who was talking about art, buying art. And he was talking about buying copies of, you know, this piece of art. And I thought to myself, why would you buy a copy? But it intrigued me that it was another store of wealth. So I was sat on the grass watching the kids play tennis. I was buying more cryptocurrency and I came across this coin known as Engine Coin. And it said something about NFTs. And I called one of my really good friends and I said to him, Dave, Dave, what's an NFT? And he goes, Oz, it's digital art that's stored on the blockchain. And obviously that's not the definition of what the NFT is, but I'll tell you about that. But at that time, because I was thinking about art, I was thinking about the blockchain being, being the central repository. I was thinking of authentication that, you know, that the art was on the blockchain and therefore it belonged to a certain person and it meant, and it actually gave it value. I was quite, I became very obsessed with NFTs at the time. And he said to me, Uzi, go and have a look at this project trending and it's called Board AB Club. And I went and I had a look at it on OpenSea and I was walking through the traffic center and I wanted to buy like 50, you know, I just wanted to buy all of them. And I love the look of these, of these monkeys, right? Um, and he didn't let me buy 20, he let me buy two. He said, you can only use money if you know you are willing to lose. And I said, all right, fine. And that was it really. I was early to NFTs. I got a few board apes. I got VFriends, MeBits, and everything else that came that was early at the time. And from there, my journey with regards to understanding Web 3.0 and the metaverse and, and the blockchain was quite natural because I was drawn to the tech. I went for conferences, um, obviously, you know, when, I mean, you know me well enough, when I buy something, I, I, I research it a lot. And by researching, you learn a lot. And so I definitely won't call myself an expert, but 100% an enthusiast. Okay, so, so the, the question that people always scream to you, you know, you've got Web 3.0. So what's Web 1.0? What's Web 2.0? And why on earth do you need Web 3.0? So Web 1.0... Um, was the first generation of the internet. If you remember back in the day when we switched our modems on and, and we heard the beeping sound of the modems and we were trying to get onto internet, I think my first experience of the internet was Wikipedia. Web 1.0 was basically a read-only internet that was a massive encyclopedia for us to consume. Web 2.0 a generation, well, probably a decade later or so, a little bit more, became the internet as we know it, whereby we not only consumed the information, but we also provided content for others to consume. And we do that now through social media, through Instagram, through LinkedIn, through uh, Facebook and all the other good stuff. But at the moment, the internet is a two-way process. So it's, so it's not just read-only. Web 3.0 is, is important because the issue that we have with Web 2.0 at the moment is that our data is not private. You know, our data is monetized by the big techs and our privacy is very much not our, well, well, we have no privacy. And I think it's important for me to tell the listeners how Instagram and how LinkedIn actually make their money. They make their money by people like ourselves creating content by those 
um, videos or pieces of content becoming, uh, uh, you know, highly viewed or attracting a lot of read, readers or viewers. And they would then use those posts or videos to advertise. So, ad- so, so, so advertisers would pay, li- would, would pay LinkedIn or, or Instagram to advertise their, their services, etc., on their platforms which are then attached in some way, shape or form to our posts and our videos. And as people click on it, the same people that are watching our videos click on it, uh, Instagram and LinkedIn get paid. And so, and so do these service providers get work. And us as the content creators get nothing. So a Web 3.0 is essentially the decentralization of the internet, whereby you take away these big techs, you are the creator of your content is a user-centric, highly intelligent web, web whereby you can monetize your own work and you can control your own privacy. And that's essentially what it is. Okay, so before I go into a couple of questions, let's just uh, get a, bit, a few definitions out of the way so people know what we're talking about. So first one you mentioned was blockchain. I think that's probably a good one to start with because that's what you're saying everything's built on. So can you just explain to everybody what a blockchain what the blockchain actually is it's quite nice to think of it with the two words blockchain it's a it's a load of blocks chained to each other to create a long list of blocks that stores information that can't be lost right so that's that's one way to 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 understand it the other way to understand it is take a, a massive digital notebook right that digital notebook is your blockchain each page in that digital notebook is the block that holds the certain information or the transactions that are important, and each page is chained to each other to create this notebook, which is your distributed ledger. And that's a and that's a simplistic explanation of what blockchain is. Why it's important is that, as I said before, it's completely secure, it's immutable, it's transparent. It's decentralized. It's not controlled by anyone. It's a peer-to-peer network. And the most important thing for me with regards to it is that it keeps data secure. It keeps data or important information secure and in a place whereby no one can ever tamper with it. So when you say it's decentralized, and obviously it's not owned by a big tech. So who's created the blockchain then? Because someone must have created something. It's a, digital, it's, a, it's a digital platform, isn't it? So to think of it simplistically, it's a whole bunch. It's a network of computers, right, that validate transactions, this mathematical model of transactions to create blocks as information is put through that, that chain. Let's just leave it there because to go into any more a detail in relation to it probably will, will, um, will be a bit much for this call, I think. So essentially, it's, it's a network of computers, just like how we have the internet now, just like how we have cloud, a cloud now. This is, but that's controlled by Microsoft and Google and, and, and all the other big tech. This is a decentralized ledger, not controlled by anyone, controlled by the people using their network with the power of computers. Okay, so if enough people on that blockchain who are using their, their obviously decentralized computers decided, right, we're, we're off, we're not going to be involved in it anymore, what does that mean? Does that mean then crashes? 
No, that just means that more blocks won't be won't be added to it. Yeah. Okay. That means more so, information will be added to it. So you have different chains. You have the Ethereum blockchain. You have the Bitcoin blockchain. The Bitcoin blockchain is a very simple blockchain. It was just created for cryptocurrency. The Ethereum blockchain is created more for smart contracts and for decentralized applications to be attached to it. And then you have other chains as well that you know are used for for different purposes. And ultimately, it depends which chain you want to use for your purpose. Okay, so when you say created, then who creates it? So, for example, Ethereum, who it's a different person, with what, you say, what you're saying, because it's decentralized, it's all separate. So the person who, or the people who created Bitcoin are different than the people who created Ethereum, who are then different than the people who create the next thing as well. Yes, yes, yes. So effectively, anybody, is what you're saying, could decide... Actually, I've got an idea to create a currency or a NFT or something of value and put it onto the blockchain currently. So I could do it, basically, if I had yes. the technical capability. Yes, yes. And that's what I love about this entire concept of decentralization. Everyone has a chance. And we'll talk about NFTs in a bit, I'm sure. And I'll give you a bit of an example of how, why I love it so much from an inclusion perspective. But you are spot on. You currently can put anything on the blockchain. And the best part about Web 3.0, the part that I love about Web 3.0, is that currently at the moment, this podcast will, uh, this podcast will be broadcasted on LinkedIn. You get very excited by the fact that you get a lot of likes, a lot of comments, a lot of you know, views, a lot of interaction. And you'll be hopeful that you get some business out of it, right? You know, people will see, you know, that this guy is a, is a thought leader. Let's go and get some adv advisory work from him, et cetera, et cetera. But the big winner there is LinkedIn, right? Not you. You, hopefully you'll get some business. What I love about Web 3.0 is that the exactly same podcast will be put on a decentralized platform, the blockchain. People will view it. And because people are viewing and because you're creating value with your content, you'll be earning, you'll be monetizing that. No one else. And, and it could be the case whereby for every, for every time people watch it, the platform will pay you a certain cryptocurrency depending on which chain it's on, et cetera, et cetera. But essentially, you're monetizing your own work, you're cutting out the middleman, and you are controlling your own data. And that's what Web 3.0 is all about. Okay, so just on that point, just let's elaborate on that point a bit. So how does that, what's the mechanism that happens there? Because obviously, you go on LinkedIn, I post some content. Of course, LinkedIn are bloody getting all my eyeballs and promoting to them and making money on it. And then only if I get people off the platform, will I make money. So in a Web 3.0 world, so I put it on the blockchain. So who, who's actually paying me and how do I then get paid? Just as an example, if I was to do that, I put a podcast on, it's on the blockchain, they then come into me, or they're coming, basically I'm putting a link to where they can see it on the blockchain. Right, take me from there. How do I then make money out of that? So we'll talk about NFTs in a bit, so I won't use the NFT yeah. idea yeah. yet. But, but let's just say, simplistically speaking, just like how, just think of LinkedIn as the blockchain, right? Yeah. People are people are viewing your video. Let's just let's just pretend that LinkedIn is now the blockchain is not owned by LinkedIn. It is the blockchain, and people are watching your you know this podcast for 
in the smart contract, yeah, that's written on the blockchain, the code or the, or the contract will say for every X amount of views that you, that, the pers- that you get, you will earn a certain amount of a cryptocurrency or a certain token that, that's on there. It's all programmed in. It'll, it will be all programmed. It's not there yet, Hakim. This is what I'm talking about as a notion. And that's a really important point. Nobody can tell you right now what Web 3.0 is because it's not, it's not there yet. What I can tell you is, is the theory of what it's likely to be. And the key to it is decentralization. It's user-friendly where you can monetize your own content and you can protect your own privacy. And that's the key. So to answer your question, essentially, everyone watching this podcast on the blockchain will be getting value out of it because they're watching your podcast and you will, and in the smart contract, likely so, it'll be written in there that for X amount of views, you will get X amount of cryptocurrency and you would be monetizing your work. Okay, so two things. Number one, what you're saying is I couldn't do that at the moment. This is what's, what you think is coming down the line. That's number one. And then number two, you, I've forgotten what, I've forgotten what number two was. <laughs> but no, I, I can't remember. But, but the key thing is, what you're saying is this is, where you see the future coming rather than this is what I could do now. Correct. This is giving everyone a chance to monetize their work without a centralized body deciding whether someone's content is good enough or not. Ah, yes, I remember what number two was, so that's useful. So number two is basically that is it the case that therefore the the more people that are using the blockchain the more likely it is that we're going to get to this particular stage that you're talking about quicker. Yes. Yes, the yeah. simple answer okay. to that is yes. And it's all about market adoption, isn't it? Are we still early? You know, we talk about that a lot. The blockchain still has some maturity to, to you know, to go through. But without a shadow of a doubt, I think we all, we all are a bit tired of, you know, not being able to monetize our skills and passion and our content and the fact that we are dependent upon centralized bodies to control, you know, our content. I think we all sick, you know, sick and tired of that. I think we all sick and tired of banks printing money, um, devaluing the hard work that we do by way of what we actually earn. And so, there's an alternative, and the alternative is decentralization, and that's where cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency comes into place, um, and that's where the blockchain really, really speaks to people like myself. Okay, so that's actually a key point, which I'll just, uh, a little segue here, but lots of people will be listening and thinking, oh, yeah, but we don't, you know, because if I'm an influencer, for example, uh, I'm going onto a platform, and I'm putting my content out, and I'm being paid for advertising, etc. But the key thing that people need to understand here is that that's not your data. So I'm going on to Instagram, for example, and doing, I'm going on to YouTube tomorrow. And, and I say this to people all the time, YouTube could destroy your account and just take you off. And then you move on yeah, to Instagram and then Instagram can take you off. And then you move on to Facebook, then Facebook can take you off. So because you know, or, or, or when if you, they don't like what you're saying, or if they don't like what you're saying, for their own benefit, they can change the algorithm so people can't see it. It's as simple as that. Well, yeah, and they all, they already do, you know, on all those platforms, you know, people will get on and say, oh, I've got 20,000 people on LinkedIn. 
not knowing that only a small percentage of those people, LinkedIn ever shows that content to Facebook is the same, Instagram the same. They've all got algorithms which work to their advantage and not necessarily yours. And, and most people don't realize that. So my advice to most people, even before Web 3.0, is that you take people off those platforms and get them into your own email list. It's not the same. It's not as interactive. But you can then communicate with people who are basically your customers, listeners, viewers, et cetera, rather than being on a platform. And I'm exactly the same with my platform. You know, I'm on Spotify. I'm on Apple Podcasts. And believe you and me, to get onto Apple Podcasts, oh, bloody hell, it's, it's, like, it's like jumping through hoops to all the things you have to fill in to get it on. But at any point, they could just say, actually, we don't like your podcast or we're not yeah. going to put you in, in that particular area. And my podcast journey, it's not done because there's lots of other podcast platforms I can use, but you're always reliant upon someone else. What you're saying is actually on the blockchain, you don't own the blockchain, but you own your content. And nobody else can be it determines who sees it. So if I've got 50,000 people who all come to my link, they will all see it. It's not, yeah. it's not down to an algorithm. Yeah, 100%. Spot on. Okay. Isn't it barking so, mad though? Isn't it, isn't it barking mad, right? If you really, really think about it, isn't it barking mad that we provide the content and all the, the, the creativity with regards to what people watch on Instagram and LinkedIn. And then our data gets taken from us, whether we give it to them or not, to target us to buy something else and for them to earn from our own posts. It's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous that we're not monetizing our own work, and yet we actually it comes full circle around us that you know our data and our creativity is used for other people's benefit. It shouldn't work like that. No, it shouldn't. I mean, I, I suppose when when initially set up, who knows what their long term vision was? But they that people such as Facebook would say, well, we're seeing it almost like as an art gallery, aren't we? Because, but different because it's free. When it first start, started up, I think they then realized, well, actually, if it's free, how do you make money out of it? And then obviously, when you've got millions of people on it, then advertising is how you make money out of anything, isn't it? But they, they would probably say, well, actually, well, we are effectively a content curation service where we give you the platform to get access to millions of people that you would not be able to get yourself. But then they live, leave out the bit that, Actually, yeah, but we're determining who you who gets to see your data and we're using your data, as you just said there, for retargeting and making sure that we can monetize it. Because, you know, if you're in marketing, which I am, Facebook out of all of the platforms and therefore by extension Instagram and everywhere else, everything else it owns is possibly a marketer's, uh, I was going to say something that I shouldn't, uh, dream. Um, because... When I was growing up as a marketeer, to be able to target certain demographics, I had to go out. I had to go, if I wanted to de target old people, I had to go to old people's homes. If I wanted to target young people, I'd have to go to you know an Arndale Centre or a, whatever blue whatever the centre they're called all over the country. You couldn't just sit in your house and target with exact precision, what you can do now. So I understand the benefit of using Facebook, but what you're saying is actually. With the blockchain, the technology is there that we'll still be able to do that, but you'll be doing it for your own ends, and therefore you won't and you won't be paying somebody else to get people to come to where you're looking. So I suppose 
just of the extension of that, because obviously Google Ads and all those sorts of things are very important in getting eyes onto your content. So would you still have to use that sort of way of getting people into it? Otherwise, how, how do people know? So I've launched a podcast. How do people then know that my podcast is there? Um, how, do, how do I contact the, the buying group, basically? I guess, you know, the traditional ways to market things will, you know, will always be there. So I don't think that will actually, you know, stop. But what I will say is that the, the internet will be highly intelligent. It will be highly intelligent, whereby the, the algorithms would be based on all the, all the stuff that you're actually looking at on the internet or, you know, creating. It will actually know what your preferences are. And therefore, it will it will provide you with the with the information or the or the markets that you are actually interested in. So, a person who wants to find out about Web three and was not really sure about it, and you know they are using their you know their user centric Web three uh, platform, and they they're looking at things and using Chat GPT, etc. There platform is getting intelligent with regards to what they need. And so they will say, watch Hakim's podcast, you know? And so, so it'll be a highly intelligent internet that would actually provide your marketing for you. But there's no, there's no doubt about it that the old school ways of even uh, going out to see people, etc., will you know, will still be there. But the key point, as you, the key point, as you said, is that we will have the opportunity now, in my opinion, to monetize our own good work and keep our own data private. And that's really, really important, I think, to me, to yourself, and to probably all the listeners as well. So, so exactly. So what you're basically saying is the Web 3.0 is effectively a Google, a Google on acid, but which is decentralized. So yes. as opposed to Google creating an algorithm, which then if I know how to game it, which is SEO effectively, and I know how to put content out, which then puts me to the top of Google, then actually I'm in a better position than somebody else. Not necessarily because I've got better content, actually. And what you're saying is that the Web 3.0, the intelligent internet you're talking about, equalizes that because rather than it's showing my podcast because I know how to, you know, <laughs> do things with my SEO and get it on the website and LinkedIn and all the other things. It's actually going to identify information that's on the web, which fits what I'm looking for rather than what my algorithm is pushing and what my algorithm likes. Because that, you know, to be fair to Google, if you write very good content over a period of time, you will get found. However, you're still going to struggle over somebody who's paying a lot of money to get content written and put all the right things and put all the H1 tags and do everything of that nature. What you're saying is that Web 3.0 effectively takes that away and makes it much more of an egalitarian place where actually if your content's good, it will be yeah. found as opposed to, oh, well, yeah, but he's doing SEO here and he's got a website doing that, etc. Yeah, you got it. That's the definition of Web 3.0. <laughs> okay, perfect. So we've talked about the blockchain, I think, and I think it's important to get that blockchain understood because that's where everything comes from. Let's just talk a bit. I mean, cryptocurrency, 
Most people, I think, know what it is. But just give us a, a, a quick, what's cryptocurrency? And then give us a, I think you've talked about Ethereum. You've talked about um, Engine Coin. I think everyone's heard of Bitcoin since it's plummeted. Uh, so what, what, how would you define cryptocurrency? So the best way to think of cryptocurrency from a, sim- from a simplicity perspective, just think of it as a token of that blockchain. Yeah, so Bitcoin is the token of the Bitcoin blockchain. Ethereum is the token of the Ethereum blockchain. And the most important thing about cryptocurrency is that it's decentralized. It's not controlled by the bank uh, or the banks. Most of them are for limited supply, so they're deflationary. And that's it. And the best part about it, the best part, and the part I love about this entire space is that Anyone, as long as they have an internet connection, can transact in Bitcoin or transact in Ethereum. Anyone. And that's the best. The inclusivity aspect of cryptocurrency, for me, changes the game. It, give, it gives everyone a chance. The poor boy in, in, in Mozambique, you know, who decides that he or, she, or, or, he, or, or he or even a girl wants to you know, buy something. They don't have to worry about converting to dollars and paying all the fees or having a bank account and paying all the fees in relation to that. Even if they qualify for a bank account in the first instance, et cetera, et cetera. They can transact across the world as long as they have an internet connection. And isn't that a great thing? The the inclusivity and the freedom that it gives people all around the world. So when you say token, just for clarification, you're saying that's a currency on that particular blockchain? Yes. So so a token like, you know, think of Bitcoin as a dollar and think of, you know, Ethereum as a pound and think of ApeCoin as, you know, the South African Rand, you know, in different currencies on different blockchains and each of those blockchains will be used for different purposes um, from a from a Bitcoin, think of it as just put pure uh, digital currency, right? So you be you be paying each other in Bitcoin instead of dollars. Ethereum is similar, but Ethereum is on a smarter blockchain, whereby you have the smart contracts and decentralized applications, and therefore you'll be transacting on that blockchain. Probably to watch your podcast, you'll do it on the Ethereum blockchain. And therefore, you'll be earning in Ethereum and the people who would be paying to use it or paying for your NFTs, which we'll come to in a bit, would be paying in Ethereum. And if, for example, a coin that I, I think is a fantastic coin to buy at the moment, which is called ApeCoin, which is based on the Yuga Labs ecosystem, that's going to be the coin that's going to be used in the Yuga Labs or the, the, um, the Board ABR Club. Uh, metaverse and ecosystem with regards to, you know, their trading platforms and their gaming experiences, etc. So, say, so because you were talking about dollars, rand, etc., when you just explained the different coins. So, does the, if I say, let's say, for example, I've got Bitcoin currently, and I want to trade on the Ethereum, so is that not the same in terms of exchange rates? Is there not a fee if I want to then use my Bitcoin to trade on the Ethereum platform? So you have a cryptocurrency uh, exchange whereby you can swap your Bitcoin to Ethereum or to ApeCoin or to any other cryptocurrency. I use Binance. Coinbase is also pretty good. 
and and essentially you you just swap it for a minimal fee. But that minimal fee could be argued to be called an exchange rate fee, couldn't it? It could be, but it's more it's more so every time you 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 transact because of the blockchain, there are um, let's think of it as miners have to do work in the background for 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 these transactions actually to sit on the blockchain, and that's and that's a transaction fee. So it's actually, you're actually paying someone for it for someone to do work. You're not just paying a central organization for the necessity to exchange money, but there'll always be a little bit of that. So you you can't really get away from exchanging one to the other. You'd have to pay for that in some way, shape, or form. It's really minimal compared to to the traditional banking system. So, and you're just talking, you're talking about the BYC and obviously using ApeCoin and that's where the they're going to have their gaming system in the metaverse. So how does the metaverse, because I think lots of people have heard of the metaverse uh, and obviously been made very popular with Facebook changing its name to Meta, of course, and Meta goggles and all that sort of get good stuff. So how does that link in to the whole thing? And then, and then we're going to start getting on to, right, well, what can we do in terms of business? Well, let's, let's, let's go to NFTs first, because I think, I think we, we're missing the NFT piece, which links, which links really the blockchain to Web 3.0 and the metaverse. So if we can unblock um, NFTs quickly, because a lot of people yeah. hear the word NFT and they like they switch off and they think monkey and they think and they think you know silly cartoon characters etc. So let's just let's just unblock that and something that I'm quite passionate about is NFT. So NFT stands for non fungible token, right? To to understand what non fungible token means, let's just talk about what fungible and non fungible means. Fungible is something that's interchangeable. So two. $100 bills can be interchanged for the same value. That's fungible, right? Non-fungible is, and I use the example the last time with you, our two cars are both out of e-trons. They both have different VIN numbers or different serial numbers, and therefore they become non-fungible because they can't be exchanged for the same value. Yeah, they can't be exchanged for the same value. And so the difference between fungible and non-fungible is non-fungible is unique. It's a one-of-one. And fungible is interchangeable. The word token, it digitizes what's non-fungible. So you, now we understand what non-fungible means. It means a one-of-one, one, it's unique. The word token then digitizes it and puts it on the blockchain. So it makes it a digital asset that's a one-of-one. One. Yeah. So just on that, just on that point, because there'll be some people thinking, yeah, but two ID e-trons, and, and they're both the same color as it happens, but two ID e-trons are almost like they are interchangeable. What you're saying is, no, you may have made, or Audi may have made, a thousand Audi e-trons, and of course you can sell them all, but they're all individual units, whereas, yeah, so, yeah, if I got into your car, I wouldn't be able, I wouldn't be able to drive it because I haven't got the keys, I haven't got all the stuff that I need, and it's a slightly different spec, whereas if I get a, a, a $100 bill, and I give you a hundred dollar bill. It makes no difference whether I've had it for five years, one year, whatever. That's completely interchangeable. Your seeds might be a different color to mine, so it's not. It's not. Yeah. It's, a, it's unique. It makes it unique by a small change. It's. It yeah. can't. It's not one hundred percent identical that it can be interchanged for the same value. It can't be. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. So your your mirrors are the new mirrors, aren't they? With the, with the sensors, <laughs> and I get old mirrors. So so by virtue of that, it becomes. 
you know, completely different. And therefore, it attracts a different value because it's different. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because some people would value red seats over senses rather than mirrors. And that's why something non-fungible is so important. Because as I was saying a bit earlier, people look to store their wealth in things that are, you know, be more valuable over time. Whether it be Rolex watches, whether it be number plates, whether it be vintage cars, whether it be pieces of art. And the important thing about NFTs is that when something's an NFT, because it sits on the blockchain, you know who the owner is and, and you know that it's authentic. That's the two main pieces. It's proof of ownership and proof of authenticity. To this day, nobody knows where the real Mona Lisa is. Isn't that Baki mad? So if you have, so just imagine, right, if the Mona Lisa, the real Mona Lisa was proven to be at a certain place, would it be not worth more money? By virtue of people talking about, oh, that's a real one, that's a real one, that's a real one. It's not scarce, right? People don't really know which is the real one. But if that was the real one and it was authentically the real one, all the others won't be worth much. The real one will be worth much. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And so that's why the blockchain, I love the blockchain. That's why I like NFTs. And, and that's why I like NFTs because you can, you can use it to represent collectibles, digital art, videos. You can even create a proof of physical objects that the NFT is proof of ownership of a physical object, which is, which is really, really interesting. And what I love about, about it, two things on it. One, an example for your podcast, when you asked me a little bit earlier about, so how will someone come and watch my podcast, right? What you would do is you would sell NFTs for hands-on business podcasts, right? You'll sell a hundred of them, right? And because people value your podcast, they would buy the NFTs and what you, and, and, and they would have, they would, they would hold one of ones. Yeah, you can create a little bit of, you know, one you can call debunking Web3 myths. The other one you can talk about pharmaceuticals. The next one can have a bit of art about a book that someone wrote or something like that, right? But you can create 100 NFTs where a certain community would buy the, those NFTs. You would capitalize your business, right? You would then give them exclusive membership for certain podcasts that no one else will get. So you give them value under that smart contract. And if they want to sell it to other people, and as you build your brand, the value of the NFTs will increase. People who hold your NFTs may want to sell them because they believe it represents good value. But the great part about it is that there's royalties tied into that. Every time it sells in the secondary market, you will recapitalize your business. And because you're recapitalizing your business, you would keep on giving value to your NFT collectors. Now, a person says, well, well, Oz or Uzi or Hakim, you know, well, Hakim could just take all that money and he could just like, you know, not provide any value for his community who bought all his NFTs. What I say to that is, well, Hakim's brand is gone. His reputation has, is gone at that point, right? The most important thing is in life is your reputation. Right. So if you're going to create an NFT project around your podcast, 
unless you keep on providing value under that those you know that smart contract your reputation your brand is not going to enhance it'll it'll probably suffer so that's a really really important point there the second part that i like about nfts is that so i can't draw to save my life so i'm a so i'm a mechanical engineer and i was i am really good at a lot of stuff but the one thing that i couldn't do was draw like i used to look at people in the class drawing and draw these isometric you know drawings of something that they were looking at you know in you know just the assembly and drawing these isometric you know objects and i thought that they were that they were unbelievable because i couldn't do it i i i could i could i could see it but i can't draw it right and um so i look at creative people who can draw even photographers and artists and you know painters and i look at them and i think you guys and you guys I, you know i really envy them because i could never do that and what i what what i always thought about them was that they couldn't really monetize what they love and what they're really good at because years ago they needed to know somebody in a gallery or a good artist had to know someone in the gallery or some person some centralized body to give them a chance to monetize their good work and so they would work you know do things in their life that they didn't really enjoy just to make ends meet and in their spare time they do all their paintings because they couldn't monetize it what i love about nfts is that creative people now can monetize what they love and what they great at by doing a drawing putting it in the blockchain and if someone loves it someone will buy it and i talk about i talked about the poor girl or the poor boy in in africa you know they could draw a sketch or whatever they wanted to draw they wouldn't need hakim or uzair or joe blogs to give them a chance they put it on the blockchain and if the market value hit the market will buy it and it gives them joy and it gives them happiness and that's what i love about it the most so that's my sort of view on nfts i guess okay so on on that basis um now link it into because you said you want to link that into the metaverse what is the metaverse and is the metaverse the same as web 3.0 something different how's it how's it all linked together so people talk about web 3.0 and the metaverse is the same thing they're not the same thing web 3.0 was what i told you it was it's a decentralized web user centric highly intelligent where you can monetize your own content and you can look after your privacy so that's web 3.0 the metaverse you can think of it as a collection of interconnected digital worlds that you can do anything that you would normally do in a physical world whether it be go to work whether it be go go to a concert go to a conference whatever else it may well be go go and do fitness activities etc etc what it is though is it's using VR and AR tech to really experience an immersive environment whereby they can socialize people can socialize with each other people can go to work people can have coffee um and in time to come an example of a metaverse would be me and you right now having this podcast not in this 2D environment where I'm looking at my screen and you looking at your screen and we looking at each other on the internet we'll be doing it either in a virtual environment for the listeners i bought virtual real estate in in the metaverse 
whereby Hakim came over and he sat with me in my penthouse in Miami looking at, at the sea and, and chatting on my rooftop. So, so we could do it there. Or we could have this virtual podcast studio whereby, because I hold the NFT for Board Ape, that one there, sorry, I'll come as, come as my ape and I'll come into the, the, the boardroom and you'll come in as whoever you want to come in as, your avatar if you want it to be your avatar, and we'll experience whatever we experience in a whole different way. Now, someone will, someone will say, well, well, why would we do that? Well, why would we do that? Why, why, why would we go to work, for example, in this metaverse? And the only way I can explain that to them is just like how we said five years ago, we didn't think for the life of ourselves that we'd be able to manage our businesses or do podcasts in the way we actually run them now through a computer screen. That experience will be enhanced and we'll do that in the metaverse. I actually see, you know, like how you always tell me that you go to see clients in the U.S. and that. I see your clients coming to your metaverse to see your product, the brilliant product that you guys have invented. Come and see it, and you'll be also be able to show them how to use it in the metaverse by them sitting in their living room doing exactly that. But what I also like about this whole space, right, and I, and I think about this a lot, I think about... And you know, you know how it is, right? Youngsters, youngsters who have a lot of confidence about themselves. And you, you put them in, in an environment whereby they're not familiar. Or anyone, for example, not even youngsters, even ourselves. You know, we might enter a boardroom and feel intimidated by, you know, the CEO or the, you know, the board or highly um, influential people on the board. And we won't really be ourselves because we're not confident. What I love about the metaverse is I can see a really, really clever, clever person, clever youngster walking into a boardroom dressed as whoever he wants to be dressed as, his avatar, wearing his, his uh, Rolex wearable or his, you know, expensive wear digital wearable shoes. And because... He feels that he feels that you know he's the top dog in the room. He'll be able to express himself, or she'll be able to express herself in a way whereby they wouldn't be able to do it in, in a normal world. And I see that coming. I mean, someone might say that's barking mad, but I can see that coming. I can see, you know, it changing how we do business completely, completely. Well, the interesting so thing is, you probably got. Half the audience, actually, my my age range in audience is about 30, average of 35-ish, actually. So probably, because mo- you'll get a lot of younger people who'll be thinking, that sounds fantastic, there, and you'll have a lot of other people thinking, oh, my God, so we're going to breed a generation of people who can't actually communicate in person. Uh, so how would you answer? Because that, that's what you've just described. You've just described people who, who are introverts, who don't like walking into a room, which, you know, it, it is a lot of the population. And you're saying that this will give them a, a way because they're not actually physically there to be able yeah. to communicate that they wouldn't be able to in other, in other circumstances. So how do you answer the, the, the critics who will say, well, people just need to learn to communicate with people in person? So what I would say to that is, in my boardroom, I want everyone to be secure. I want everyone to be confident. And I want everyone to believe in themselves. Because I believe that if everyone does 
if everyone does believe in themselves, they're really confident and they feel secure, then I'll get some synergy in the boardroom, right? So I couldn't care less if one of my guys pitched up as their board ape because they feel better about themselves and therefore I'm going to get a better output. For me, it, would, it wouldn't matter. I just want confidence. I think confidence is life, right? So for me and you who want to be in our flesh, you know, and be who we are because we're comfortable with it, well, fine. But for the, for the person, for the introvert that you're talking about, who feels more confident wearing their Balenciaga wearables, probably not Balenciaga, but let's say Louis Vuitton wearables, or the Rolex that, that because they're an early adopter of NFTs or they bought it in the, in the metaverse early on and they feel more confident about it. I love it. Let the best person come to the boardroom in whichever shape, way or form they want to. So that makes sense. Yeah, that no, makes perfect sense. Give me some examples because obviously you give me some hypothetical examples about how I could probably monetize a podcast and what, what I would do with the podcast. Give me some real life examples of one, what you've seen other people do. And then two, what you've done yourself. Yeah. Okay. So just a few examples. So Gary V, someone who I've learned a lot from, Gary Vaynerchuk, he, for example, has his uh, VCon, his conference, whereby you can only access the conference with his NFT. Yeah. So, so that's an example of access, right? Starbucks just launched its Odyssey program, whereby it's NFT-based. You get stamps, which are NFTs, which you know, give you um, access to certain experiences, whether it be going to a Starbucks coffee farm or whatever else it may well be. I believe after the beta experience is completed, that would then take over the Starbucks app. As simple as that. Just on that. So basically, in both those examples you've just given, you pay for the NFT. There's a limited amount of NFTs that are given out. So they have value by the fact that they're, they're not, not, not everyone can get them. I'm assuming that you can still, well, obviously you can, you can still go to Starbucks, you can get, still go to Gary Vee and get all of his in, all his stuff on the internet, but you cannot get access to those conferences, which then means there's a value to the NFT because, number one, once they've all gone, then people who want to get access to Gary Vee but can't get access to that conference, the only way they can actually get access to that conference is to approach somebody like you, for example, and say, right, well, can I buy that uh, NFT yeah. off you? Correct, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And yeah. The same is for is for concerts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just before you go on there, because you yeah. you mentioned it before, and the beauty of that is that Gary V has already made money from you because you've bought the NFT. If yeah. you then sell it to me, Gary V, in that transaction of you selling it to me, he gets a percentage of what you sold it for. He gets he gets exactly. royalties on that, which which yeah. is important for him. And there's a whole debate going on in in the space about whether there should be royalties or not. I'm in the camp that there should always be royalties because that enables the creator like me and you to ensure that our business is well capitalized to keep on creating value. Otherwise, how do you do it? You know? So, so yeah, so that's, so that's exactly that. A few more examples then. Dubai is always at the forefront of tech. They've got a metaverse environment whereby the health service, you actually go for like, appointments in that in the metaverse so you don't have to literally go and stand in queues in the surgery etc they go in the metaverse and they get certain things done which save them all that time going to the physical space so that's an example of that uh, obviously meta or facebook 
have got their quest, um, quest two, I think it's called, whereby people are actually doing fitness in the metaverse. They're experiencing fitness in a different way. You're a cyclist. These guys are putting their bikes on, getting the VR goggles on, and they, you know, going to all the, the expensive places that you go to for your cycling trips, right? They, <laughs> they actually, they're experiencing in the metaverse and they're having fun. So that's an example of that. What we got, and, and then also, you know, you have, you have the likes of Adidas and the likes of Nike who have literally really inter- integrated themselves into NFTs. Adidas, for example, if you hold the NFT, you get certain limited edition, you know, clothing only if you hold uh, that NFT. Uh, Nike are doing, uh, Nike have actually bought, uh, you know, an NFT, a digital wearable uh, sneakers company, you know, uh, um, you know, just as a different example there. From a point of view of what I'm trying to do for our business is I'm a strong believer in, so for those who don't know, I'm the managing director of Asset Intelligence, which is a Galifantry business, and we protect national infrastructure. And I can't tell you a lot more about that because it's national infrastructure and it's sensitive. But essentially, what I'm trying to bring to Galifantry as a business is a, is a virtual environment whereby the people who are building work on the ground can actually build the work in a metaverse environment, in a virtual world, and then therefore understand how to do it right the first time, ensure it's safe, ensure that the quality is correct, and then go and do it in the real world thereafter. So that's something that I'm working on there. Um, from a, a protection of national infrastructure perspective, what we're actually doing is we're looking at creating a game whereby in the game you actually protect national infrastructure and you you know you you first build the estate in a virtual world and then you protect it and you and you you game against a villain so that's to attract the generation of tomorrow into a business like ours you know to to bring the youngsters of tomorrow into the construction world as such but also from a point of view of training people on the latest technology. So those are two examples. The other one that we're also looking at is, you know, something that, that's underrated in, a, in, in business is training people on how you want them to do business in your company. You know, how do you actually want them to manage projects? How do you want them to do sales? Now, the normal way to do it is, well, we have, you know, a GT Academy whereby people go and they watch these, you know, these videos or read these articles. And that's all 2D stuff. And that's great. What we're doing is creating these courses in a virtual environment whereby people can actually immerse themselves and learn. And I think those are a few examples that I'm actually looking at from an NFT perspective. Just before you go there, uh, there's a couple of questions I want to ask because there's a couple of things I can see. We've talked about it before. So when I was a rep back in the day, and I think they still do it, uh, we used to call it a grand round. So before you were allowed out to go and <laughs> either be very good or very poor uh, in front of clinicians, because that's I, I work in healthcare, then you had to, we actually got either you either got clinicians in, and actually a lot of the time you got clinicians in, and you'd then basically, as we call it, detail, you'd then you'd then sell your product to that clinician, and they'd mark you and they'd you know, say, yeah, he's good, he's not good, he needs to work on this before you're allowed out. So that's exactly what you're talking about. What you're saying is in the metaverse, in this instance, you could be in an immersive experience 
where you don't need a doctor or you've got a doctor, but a doctor's sitting in their surgery or just sitting at home and you're sitting in your place, but the experience is the same. So you, you actually get that because, you know, as you were talking about the 2D versus 3D experience, and I, my, my wife works in telecom that I remember back in 90, uh, no, about 2002, when 3 came out with their first video phone, and I was laughing, and I said, that's never going to take off. Who on earth wants to make a phone call on the video screen? Because the video screens were massive, but if you can remember. And my wife, obviously being in tech, was saying, just watch, that's going to be the next big thing. And she keeps reminding me of that thing. So it's exactly the same sort of thing because speaking on the phone is great, but actually seeing people, I mean, let's see the expressions, et cetera, is very different. And then the 3D experience or even a 4D experience where you actually start to see the movement of an individual and you feel part of that, of that conversation is, is important, I think. And then the other one that pops into my mind, and this will lead me to, my, to the question I want to get to, is you know about the Hegenberger Retractor, you know about all the work we've done in lots of other products and flying all over the world and training people. I see a, I see a time, hopefully in the not too distant future, where actually, and, it, and it's already started with robotics and different things in surgery, where actually I can, not me personally, but my midwife and my team can train a midwife or an obstetrician in America from their desk without traveling anywhere. And the person in America gets the same confidence and the same experience, almost, as if that person is there in terms of touch, feel, sense, and using it. So my question really is, how easy is it to get that done? Because obviously, you need to understand tech. You need to, that there's obviously people who can probably do it. But I'm assuming, as with most things in their early stages, that's going to be very expensive to get it done. Yeah. VR and AR are still going through their, and mixed realities, they are still going through this process of maturity with regards to making this efficient, making it cost-effective. Because essentially what you're actually talking about there is, number one, you have to create the environment, the right environment. So you've got to first create the environment. Then you have to get yourself and the other person into that environment in a way whereby it feels real. And then you have to be able to train them and use this retractor in a way whereby it actually makes sense, right? So... To answer your question, I believe that you can create the virtual world. That's not hard to do. The interesting part then, and you can get each other into that virtual world. So that's fine. I mean, we've actually done that, you know? Yeah. But then it's about the, the reality of how do you actually train them with such a special gadget? You know, let, you know let's call it some, something really small, something that's quite uh, unique. If you were training them about a concept, you can do that, can't you? But where yeah. it's a demonstration, it becomes a little bit more difficult. But that time will come. And this is what I say to people. I say to people that, look, this time will come. What we have to do now is we have to educate ourselves. We've got to keep our eyes open, keep our minds open to all these eventualities. And keep on learning. Keep on learning and keep on immersing ourselves into all these things as immature, the worst thing that we can do is say, I don't like what, you know, NFTs are just monkeys or the metaverse is never going to work or we're never going to have a 3D environment. 10, 20 years ago, we would have never for the life of ourselves even said that we'd be doing what we're doing today. So that time will come and it's about ensuring that we're not too late. 
Okay, so, and we're coming to the close. So one thing that people, in your opinion, if anything, that would concern a business from going to the metaverse, Web3, using NFTs in the way that we've discussed at the moment, what's the biggest concern that you think that they should try and overcome? So I think the biggest concern for most businesses, especially big corporations, is that will the shareholders like businesses investing in cryptocurrency or NFTs or metaverse project? Metaverse project is probably a little bit different. Probably you can term that a bit different, differently. You can, say, you can say something like digital twins or virtual reality and shareholders will probably be quite happy with that because that's latest tech. And I guess um, the first thing that we need to consider as business owners, leaders in big corporations is how do we use blockchain technology? Because that's the tech. And build from, build, build from that perspective. How do we use blockchain technology in our business to secure our information, our data, to keep a good audit trail of what we need, you know, what, what's important to ourselves? How do we, you know, on the basis that it's going to be immutable, it's going to be transparent, and it's going to be completely secure? What can we do to leverage it? the tech. I think that's the starting point because the tech is there. And then I would, I would recommend businesses to consider what's special about them because this world of supply and demand will always be there or always be here. The world is about supply and demand. If businesses or leaders can really consider what's valuable in their business, what, what their USPs are, and look to tokenize those services or those products to give exclusivity to a community, my view is that they'll be able to capitalize the businesses in a better way. They'll be able to create a brand around a community that believes in their product. And they will be able to ensure that, that they keep up with the latest tech and that they evolve as businesses as well. Um, not to mention everything else that we talked about with regards to NFTs. Okay, and then the last, the very, very last one is, so you talk about getting into things early, you know, uh, and obviously you got into Ethereum early and you did very well on it. So if there's someone listening to this and they're thinking, not really interested in NFTs, not really interested in Metaverse, not interested in Web 3.0, but I am interested in making a bit of money. <laughs> What's the latest thing that you'd say, go and have a look at? Well, this is not financial advice. No, um, definitely not. My view would be Bitcoin is, is, you know, going back up. It's still at a reasonable price, in my opinion. And so is Ethereum. So I would look at those two cryptocurrencies. If you're looking for a cryptocurrency that I believe in, I would look at ApeCoin. That's a coin that I believe in because of the ecosystem that it actually operates in. There's a staking mechanism around ApeCoin, uh, which is interesting, which, which, which is something that the listener should look at. But yeah, that would be the three cryptocurrencies that I, would, that I would stick to for now. But please do your own research, understand it, and do not just go and buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, or ApeCoin because I said you should. <laughs> and, on, on, and on that point, because we come to the end, then I'll get who's there 
to give me some key resources in terms of where you should go and do that research. And then I'll drop it in the podcast description so that if you are interested in NFTs, and you probably are more interested in NFTs after listening to this, because I, you know, I've found it fascinating again. And I've obviously spent a lot of time with us there asking questions previously, but I always learn something new every time I speak to him as well. But certainly I've started looking very seriously into NFTs, looking seriously into cryptocurrency, which I wouldn't have done previously because I'd always, as uh, um, as I said, always thought, yeah, well, it's just Bitcoin and you can make a bit of money. I'm not really interested in that. But when you start understanding about the utility, you start understanding the blockchain and the decentralization and how actually it protects your privacy and also protects the authenticity of what you're producing and puts, puts effectively control of your business and your assets into your own hands as opposed to major conglomerates, you start to understand how you could actually monetize it for your business and, and capitalize your business in a better way. So thank you very much who's there. It's been illuminating and um, no, really appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Akin. Really appreciate it. Well, that's definitely a fascinating space to be discussing. And I know what I'm going to be doing with my podcast now as we move forward. So I'll let you know when... Uh, those NFTs are sorted. So great to speak to us there there and discuss Web3 and the implications and how he believes that actually traditional Web2 businesses can leverage some of this new tech. And it's really interesting to listen how Starbucks and some marketers are already using it. And really very interesting to hear how there himself is going to use it for that nice painting that he had behind him. So as there said, what are you waiting for? Don't get left behind. Go and do some research and then jump into NFTs at the very least. And don't forget to check out the show notes at www.thesalesaccelerationformula.com. And as always, subscribe, like and share with your friends, colleagues and anyone else who you think may be interested. But most of all, keep the feedback coming so that we can continue to improve and give you more of what you like. Hope you enjoyed this as much as I did and as I always do. Keep listening and keep growing.